All right, Alexander, let's talk about the big news. And this is a story that is breaking. It's also a story that's developing. And that is the destruction of a part of the Novaya Kakovka Dam in the Kherson region. Uh, I say it's developing and, and this is a breaking story and it's developing because we really don't have a lot of information as of the time that we're recording this video. Even though President Zelensky, uh, Michelle of the European Union, The Guardian, and a whole lot of other uh, collective West media, they have said that Russia did it. Yes. Russia is behind yes. this. So what are your thoughts on the, uh, the destruction of the dam? By the way, I, a quick question to you. Have the Russian, uh, go, has the Russian government, not the, the mayor of Kherson, but has the Russian government come out with a statement yet, to your, to not, your knowledge? Not to my knowledge. I don't think they have. But I am absolutely sure that they will deny that they had anything to do with this at all. And can I just say, I mean, I don't know who destroyed the Novaya Kakovka Dam, but all of the people that you spoke about, well, uh, um, you know, when Nord Stream blew up, they also pointed the finger at the Russians, and they continued to do so for weeks and months upon end. And then the one thing that started to come through is that the investigators looked into this and concluded that it couldn't have been the Russians. So, you know, jumping to these kind of conclusions, following, in other words, your biases, makes absolutely no sense. And let me stress again, about this particular incident, there would have to be an investigation, an impartial partial investigation. It is not going to happen. But the Russians have been warning that Ukraine was thinking about destroying this dam. Well, I get to say, the first time I heard it mentioned that the Russians were making these warnings was way back in August of last year. So that this has supposedly been a long-standing plan. And the Russians also say, and on this I have no doubt that they are right, that Ukraine has regularly shelled the dam and has shelled the two bridges, the railway bridge and the road bridge over this dam. So I'm not saying that proves that it was Ukraine that did it. All I am saying is no evidence yet that the Russians did it. Perhaps a little more evidence that the Ukrainians did it, because, as I said, this is history of shelling this dam in the past. And thirdly, all these people who reflexively point the finger at the Russians and tell us that the Russians were doing these terrible things, uh, have done this terrible thing. They said that the Russians blew up Nord Stream. It turns out that they didn't. And many of them, and I'm thinking of The Guardian in particular, were enthusiastic supporters of other um, anti-Russian narratives. Russiagate, for example, where it turned out we've had now multiple reports the Russians weren't involved either. So these are not reliable, objective, impartial observers. Far from it, in fact. They are the kind of people who would you would expect reflexively to blame the Russians for an incident like this. Okay, so I think the most important point, the most important starting point for all of this is the fact that Russia controls this dam. Yes. They control this uh, hydroelectric power plant. Yes. 
very much in the same way that they control the ZNPP, the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant, and very much the same way that they controlled the gas that transited the Nord Stream pipeline. So my first question to you is, if Russia did this, as uh, Zelensky claims, or as Michelle claims, why would they blow up their own dam, knowing that uh, you put at risk the water supply in Crimea, you put at risk the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant, and of course you put at risk the, uh, the, the optics, the condemnation from the rest of the world, having done uh, such a thing. And why would you do this at a time when you are not only winning the conflict, like the military conflict on the ground, but after a day or two of account, the big counteroffensive, your military has managed to repel every attack that has come your way. Why would you do this? I mean, yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts because well, this, this is what's going through you, my you, head. You, why why, why you, would? Yeah, you have put your finger on this. I cannot see any conceivable rationale for the Russians to do this at all. They control the dam, as you absolutely rightly say. Now, I'm not an expert on dams, but I would have thought that if they wanted to flood the floodplain below, well, they could just open the dam. I mean, you know, why, why would they have to blow it up? If that is, if that was part of their plan, I would have thought it would be the last thing they wanted to, to do. And given that at some point, presumably, they want to take control of Herson City back, why would they want to flood Herson City? Why would they do all of the things that you said? Now, it, it has to be said, in part, no doubt, because of these rumours that the Ukrainians were intending to blow up uh, the dam, and also because of the Ukrainian shelling of the dam, which is, as I said, is an indisputable fact. There is no doubt about that at all. I've even seen media reports in the West can see that Ukraine has shelled the dam in order to stop Russian communications at various times and for any other reasons. Anyway, for all of these reasons, it looks as if the Russians have taken steps to attempt to mitigate the problems that would be caused if the dam were destroyed. So apparently, and you know, I've read some reports about this, there's now alternative water supply routes to the uh, Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. So it is unlikely that it will face any immediate problems in the future. And you're talking about Crimea. Well, Crimea has survived without water from um, Ukraine, from the Dnieper, for quite a long time. It could survive again. And I understand anyway that there are, that, that you know, the, the water supply sources from the Russian-controlled areas of southern Ukraine, that they're still functioning to some extent. But it would cause them problems. Of that, there is no doubt. They will have to more evacuate more of their people. That is absolutely no doubt. There are suggestions that this might facilitate Ukrainian advances across the reservoir north of the dam towards the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant, though I suspect that would take weeks and perhaps months to, to, be possible, to become possible. But, you know, perhaps it can happen. It doesn't make any kind of sense to me at all. I don't see the logic of it. The Russians were successfully defending their positions in Kherson region. They don't need to flood the waters south of the dam. I've seen an article in the Telegraph which claims that, you know, 
flooding the dam, uh, breaking the dam, flooding the waters to the south of the dam makes it more difficult for Ukraine to cross the Dnieper into Kherson region east of the Dniester, the Dnieper, sorry, possibly. But it, 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 as, as you absolutely rightly said, every single Ukrainian attack across the Dnieper has been repelled. Every one of the attacks that Ukraine has launched um, so far in the Zaporozhye, uh, um, southern Donet, Donbass area, has failed. The Russians have just captured ba uh, Bakhmut a few uh, weeks ago. They're making big advances in Kupiansk. They're hammering Ukraine with all their missiles in every single place. I myself cannot see the rationale for this. Why would the Russians want to do this? Why would uh, Ukraine want to do this? Well, that is a very good question. I mean, firstly, first of all, there are the optics. I mean, Ukraine, you know, Ukraine knows that if the dam were destroyed, people in the West, Michel, the Guardian, all of those people would reflexively blame Russia. And we've discussed how, in, on many occasions, in many programmes, how um, important for Ukraine for the current leadership in Ukraine, uh, conducting an information war against Russia. The information part of this war is. So I don't think that is an issue that can be um, ignored or disregarded. But if the Russians are right, that this is something that the Ukrainians have been trying to do for months, going all the way back to August, as I said, when I clearly remember it first being discussed, I remember it being discussed specifically way back in the in August of last year, before Ukraine started its Kherson offensive. Um, it seems to me that it's not impossible. In fact, anybody who follows Ukraine closely knows that this sort of thing happens, which is that the Ukrainians get an idea. It might have made sense way back last summer or in the autumn. You blow up the dam, you cause all this flooding, you cut off the Russian troops west of the Dnieper. The Russian troops, of course, have long pulled back. The Russians have established their fortified lines east of the Dnieper. They've certainly taken into account the possibility of the um, Ukrainians destroying the dam and causing all this flooding. But if you're Ukraine, perhaps you continue with a plan that you formed. It's become part of your thinking. It's hardwired, if you like, into your decision making. So as part of this offensive that you're now trying to carry out, you blow up the dam, you think that this will cause more problems for the Russians than it probably actually will at the Zoporozhye nuclear power plant in Crimea. Um, it might enable you to move your troops, to forward your troops across the Dnieper through this uh, reservoir eventually. I have to say, I'm not saying this is Ukrainian thinking, but I have to say it would not be inconsistent with the sort of decision making I've seen from Ukraine in the past. Yeah, I agree with that, especially when you look at uh, what they're doing in Belgorod and, uh, and the attacks on, uh, on the civilians of Belgorod, which really don't serve uh, a military purpose, but they definitely managed to definitely managed manages to uh, draw attention away from um, 
from this uh, this big counteroffensive and and what's happening on yes. the uh, the battlefield, which which brings me to to my question about what's happening on the battlefield. It's, it's very interesting that uh, on the let's call it the second day of the big counteroffensive, that's going very very poorly for uh, the Ukraine military. Uh, we should be reporting on on what's happening on the ground, but all of a sudden we have this, this situation with the dam. So I imagine that much of the, the failures of the, of the Ukraine offensive are not going to be uh, discussed, but we're going to, to, to discuss them because <laughs> this, is, this, is the big, this is the big story right now, even though a lot of people are gonna focus on the dam, we should be focusing on, on a second day of of a horrific failure for the Ukraine military. By the way, Alexander, just on a side note, uh, did you know that cleverly the British foreign minister was in Kiev yesterday? No. Convenient uh, visit. But it doesn't yeah, it was surprise. a secret. Yeah, it was a kind of a very low profile, well, a secret, I won't say secret, but very low profile, unannounced visit by uh, cleverly. And he met with Zelensky in, uh, in Kiev on the 5th of June. Interesting timing there. Interesting timing. Just saying. <laughs> and, and, and begs many questions, given all that's going on. Now, let, let's get on to the military side of things, because as you rightly say, this is the one that's going to um, ultimately decide the future. Now, there's been a lot of fighting in Zaporozhye region and in southern Donbass. And the first thing to say is that, you know, we've all seen all these pictures are these enormous fortifications that the Russians have built across Zaporozhye, southern Donbass, um, in the way of this Ukrainian offensive. All of the fighting that's taken place yesterday and on Sunday has happened quite a distance north of these fortified lines. Ukraine hasn't reached those fortified lines. The fighting is taking place in what you might call the zone of control that the Russians have in front of their fortified lines. Now, on Sunday, we've been getting a lot more information from the Russian Ministry of Defense. And at the moment, I would say this, the only information we're getting is from the Russian Ministry, Ministry of Defense. Ukraine is absolutely silent about what has been happening in this uh, Zaporozhye Kharkiv, uh, uh, sorry, uh, southern Donbass area. But on, the, on, on Sunday, apparently Ukraine, as I said, with these uh, five battalions and two tank battalions tried to attack in multiple directions um, at the same time, hoping to capture one. At least they captured none of them. They suffered very heavy losses. The Russians claimed that they lost 250 men and they lost 16 tanks. That was on Sunday. Then on Monday, the Ukrainians started their attack again and they attacked in one particular, they seemed to focus on one particular location and there was an encounter battle with Russian troops the Russian air force and artillery were active there is no sign of any air defense operating on the Ukrainian side and that is perhaps the most interesting thing and this encounter battle went backwards and forwards 
there was a particular uh, village that became particularly difficult, uh, particularly strongly contested, called Novodonetskoye. <laughs> um, the Ukrainians eventually were able to push the Russians out of this village, but it's only a village. Reports then began to appear. The Russian Defense Ministry then said that over the course of this fighting, Ukraine lost 1,500 troops, 28 tanks, 28 tanks, that's in addition to the 16 tanks lost on the previous day. The Russian Defense Ministry claims that eight of these were leopards, leopard tanks, three-wheeled French AMX 10RC tanks. About those, we can confirm that because there are now photographs showing these French uh, wheeled tanks destroyed. And also 109 armoured vehicles were also destroyed. That's according to the Russians. Now, if you accept the truth of this, if you believe these losses, that is a staggering rate of loss to capture a single village. And if Ukraine has lost eight Leopard 2 tanks, and I stress it's clear to me that the Russians are talking about Leopard 2s. There's been some discussion might there have been Leopard 1 tanks. But to my knowledge, the Leopard 1 tanks have not yet been delivered to Ukraine. Well, if it's eight Leopard 2 tanks were lost in this battle, then that's eight out of roughly 60 that were delivered. So you can see that if you assume that these Russian reports are true, then this is a scale of loss which is completely unsustainable. It, it, it would mean the failure of an offensive, which hasn't even yet reached the real Russian defense lines. It, it, it shows what is happening as Ukraine tries to approach these uh, Russian defense lines. And uh, it comes, it's struck by artillery, struck by aircraft, all of these things. And of course, buried under the story of the Novaya Kakhovka Dam today, there's been reports, which I cannot confirm, that the Russians launched a counter-attack and they recaptured this village, Novodonetskoye, which the Ukrainians um, briefly captured yesterday. Now, let me say again, that is an unconfirmed report, but there is there are reports appearing in what I consider to be reliable places that it suggests that this village might, in fact, by now have been recaptured. So the, the Ukrainians will have suffered enormous losses over two days of fighting in men and machines, and they will have achieved nothing. Or if they still control this small village, virtually nothing. So that's, that's the state of Ukraine's offensive at the moment. It isn't working. I've uh, read that the best case scenario for Ukraine with regards to this village is that they have a part of the village. And I've heard yes. that's the best yes. case scenario. The most likely outcome is that yes. the Russians have indeed, yeah, have indeed taken back this, this, this village. And even if Ukraine captured this village, even if the military captured this village, 28 tanks plus another 16 tanks, Ukraine has received a total of, say, plus or minus 300 tanks from the West exactly. over exactly. the past yes. three, four months. Yes. That is, that is a huge loss. Mark my words. Uh, 
Alensky, Kaluba, Reznikov, they're going to be traveling around Europe in a week asking for more tanks. Absolutely. No question. And as I said, no artillery preparation for these attacks, no uh, massive flights of drones, <laughs> um, air defenses nowhere to be seen. Um, we, we're starting to see the effect, or so it seems, of the attrition war that the Russians have been um, conducting all these uh, last few months. The offensive has gone forward naked. And, well, we see the results. Now, of course, one has to stress again, these are Russian claims. But, you know, we've had quite a lot of photographic and video evidence of the damage done, and lots of pictures now of knocked-out machines all over the place. Certainly these three French wheeled tanks, there's pictures of those. The Russians have held back pictures of any knocked-out tanks, you know, proper tracked tanks and some people are querying therefore whether these numbers of knocked out tanks is necessarily true but you know i have to say this also when it comes to battlefield losses it's not difficult to identify tanks that have been hit or damaged or destroyed in any encounter battle the big machines you can certainly spot them with drones and all the things that the russians have I would have thought that the Russians have a pretty good idea of how extensive Ukrainian equipment losses are. And as I said, when they said three French wheel tanks were destroyed, well, we have photographs the Russian Defense Ministry has provided which show those three French wheel tanks. So that part, at least, is true. All of the evidence is that even if the Russians are perhaps spiking up the figures a little, and why would they, by the way, but even if that were true, it does seem as if Ukrainian losses have been brutal and unsustainable over a period of two weeks. And I'm sure you're absolutely right. I think Zelensky will very soon be on his travels again. Yeah, they, they have no air defense. And I think that's, that's key, what you said about the air defense systems. Uh, the Russians, I believe yesterday, they launched more missiles throughout U Ukraine, hitting more uh, weapons uh, facilities, storage facilities, uh, ammo, ammo, fuel depots. Uh, while all of this is going on, the Russians also have the capability to launch drone and missile strikes throughout Ukraine as well. This is something that the Ukraine military simply cannot do. And the Russian military is also advancing in, in other areas outside of the the, the counteroffensive in, in places like uh, Marienka and uh, Avdivka, all capabilities that the Ukraine military simply cannot match. Uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah. no. Go, go ahead. I mean, it's. No, uh, I was just going to say this is this is not going to work. No, this is well, not indeed. going to work. Uh, and you get the sense that one particular individual has already arrived at that conclusion, who was the president of the United States. He was asked, you know, are you confident about the, uh, you know, the prospects of this Ukrainian offensive? And he refused to, he didn't answer. He just crossed his fingers, <laughs> which isn't, frankly, a uh, sign of great confidence or so, it seems to me. Well, I, I mean... Ukraine is is refusing to, to call this the big counteroffensive. They're refusing to call this a big counteroffensive because 
they're waiting for some sort of success or breakthrough. The minute they get some sort of success or breakthrough, which may happen, uh, they're going to right away, they're going to come out and say, this is the big counteroffensive. That's what they're waiting for. So they refuse to, to label this anything until they get that breakthrough. The Russian Ministry of Defense on the other on the other side of things, they're putting out information quickly and, and pretty much nonstop. I mean, they're, they're they're putting stuff out there in in a matter of hours, which to me signals that they're basically saying, yeah, we've we've got this. Everything is, is under control. I mean, absolutely. I, that, I will that's... say we have seen an improvement in in the speed and and uh, the, the the frequency of of the Ministry of Defense's information that they're putting out there. The Russian Ministry of Defense's information, which we have been critical of in uh, in the past. Absolutely, that's entirely correct. And I mean, it's much more, um, it's much it's much fuller, it's much more detailed. It, it, I mean, it still gives lots. Uh, there's still lots of gaps. I mean, they don't tell us about Russian equipment or losses or casualties. They never talk about that. But they do provide quite a lot of information about where the fighting has happened, which forces have been involved on both sides. So I mean, you know, we we they, they've told they've identified the Ukrainian brigade groups, brigades that were carrying out these attacks over the last uh, you know 48, 72 hour period. Um, where these attacks have happened, and of course they provided us with details about the fighting, and they provided us with details of what they say are the Ukrainian losses, which is, you know, that suggests, again, that gives you some reason to have some confidence in this information, whereas the Ukrainians, as I said, at the moment are providing nothing. They're not even telling us um, that the offensive has even begun, even though it obviously has done. Um, that I mean, the, there doesn't seem to be any doubt at all that Western equipment supplied to Ukraine to conduct this offensive has been used in these attacks. I mean, the even if you discount the information about the leopards being destroyed, which some people are doing, I don't think with particular good cause, but you know that's be skeptical, skeptical about this if we want to be. But we have seen that these French wheel tanks, which were supplied as part of the toolkit to carry out the offensive, some of them have been used and some of them have already been destroyed. So if they have been used and they were supplied for the offensive, then logically the offensive is happening whatever the Ukrainians might like to pretend. And I would add, by the way, that on Sunday, the Russian Ministry of Defense also said the three Bradley infantry fighting vehicles had been knocked out too. Um, that wasn't spotted by many people, but it is there in the Russian reports. All right, if, um, if this continues towards in this trajectory for Ukraine, what, what do you see happening from a, a geopolitical level. I mean, if this continues to, to result in failure after failure, how, how does how does the collective West cover this up? Or what do they do? Um, what what actions can they take, if any? Because they they've bet everything on this. They have, they've they've bet everything on this counteroffensive. Yes. Well, even though they be, won't admit it, they have bet everything on, on this. It. Well, it, it it will intensify and escalate the tug of war which is happening increasingly in Washington to a lesser extent in Europe. 
But it will intensify the target war, because if it fails, then the hardliners, Tony Blinken, Victoria Nuland, those people, will demand further escalation. They will say that Ukraine hasn't had enough, they should get more, they should get attack missiles, they should get even more F-16s that they're going to be provided, uh, there should be more, they should actually start to move towards boots on the ground and things of that kind. So that's what one wing will say, and the other wing will come back and say, we've gone far enough, we can't go on um, doing this, we're over-invested in this war. It's a very interesting article in the Washington Post, by the way, saying that uh, Biden has um, become bolder about crossing Putin's red lines. And I thought that when I read the article, I would find a really, you know, a gung-ho article saying, you know, we must go on escalating indefinitely because the Russians have no red lines and we can call, we can call that bluff. But in fact, if you actually read the article carefully, it said, look, it, it seemed to be actually, I thought, slightly critical, if anything. It said, you know, that the, the administration is starting to take risks and these risks are perhaps growing and that the danger is that the red lines certainly do exist, but nobody quite knows where they are. And do we really want to go on escalating even further in this kind of way? So, you know, there are voices of caution and voices of concern. And if the offensive fails, or perhaps when the offensive fails, then I suspect those voices will get louder. And already you're getting more and more reports from more and more officials that the West is out of key weapons, ammunition. The Russians won the ammunition war, hands down, and are perhaps extending their lead there. Um, tanks, Russians are producing many more of those. I mean, as I understand it, tank production in Europe is essentially at a stop. So, I mean, it, hasn't, it hardly exists. It only exists at very, very low levels in the United States. It would have taken them until next year to provide Ukraine with 30 new built M1 tanks. So they decided instead to dust out some old tanks from store, which is what they said initially they wouldn't do. So you can see that they have multi multiplying problems and, of course, looming over, over everything is the fact that the Pentagon itself and perhaps the new chief of staff, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Brown, appears to be more concerned about China than he is about Ukraine and wants to refocus American energy there. Yeah, I've got a third scenario to, to float your way as to what happens when and if this counteroffensive fails, and actually a scenario that we first brought up many, many weeks ago. We talked about this, uh, that this conflict is moving towards some sort of... Uh, terrorist type of type of operation. In other words, the the Ukraine military, the, the Alensky regime and whoever's behind the Alensky regime, they're shifting this from an actual conflict between Ukraine and, and Russia or proxy Ukraine and Russia, and they're shifting it towards um, various terror operations. Uh, is that a possibility going forward that this is just going to ramp up? The, the, the conflict may, may, may de-escalate or 
fizzle away, let's say, or, or even be abandoned by the by the the hardliners, and they'll place an extra focus on a covert terror type of uh, operations. I'm afraid it's very likely. And can I just say something? I mean, right at the beginning, before the fighting even began, there were reports that um, um, the U.S. Um, agencies, you know, the CIA, all of those, were already were starting to train Ukrainian operatives in covert operations. Now, bear in mind, the Russians have consistently said that the war that they had to fight in the Caucasus in the 2000s the, you know, against the jihadi fighters there um, was essentially backed and orchestrated by the Western powers, primarily the United States and Britain. That's what Putin says repeatedly. He says this continuously all the time. Now, I have never seen, and this has always surprised me, any clear American denial of this. They've never actually come out and said what Putin is saying is outrageous. The United States was never involved in supporting those fighters in the Caucasus. They just allow Putin's words on this to circulate in Russia, but not in the West. So, you know, it's as if, well, we were involved. We don't really want to talk about it. It didn't work out as the way we intended. But it wouldn't be the first time that they've done this with the Russians. They might have done it in the Caucasus. They certainly did it in Afghanistan. And of course, in the Middle East, they did it extensively. They supported the uh, fighters who were basically jihadi fighters in Libya, in Syria, in all of these places. So why not try something similar in Ukraine and see whether you can keep the Russians bogged down in Ukraine, as they put it, keep the situation in Russia itself on edge, using Ukrainians, Ukrainian operatives to do it for you. All I would say is, the one country where that is least likely to have any effect is Russia itself. If you, 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 you've been there, I was there, as I said, during some of the most prominent incidents that happened, you know, in the 2000s, the Beslania incident and things of that kind. And all it did was provoke a stiffening of determination to see the thing done. But, you know, having said that, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that is, that is the plan, one of the plan Bs that are floating around at the moment. Certainly, one thing I want to say is this. I absolutely am sure of one thing. Whatever happens, the neocons are not going to just give up on Project Ukraine simply because a counteroffensive fails. <laughs> so if they give up hope of a conventional military victory, they will look at they will look for something else let me repeat again i've said this so many times now probably thousands of times now these people do not have a reverse gear yeah i agree with you on that um there even cnn they uh they had an article the other day alexander and actually yesterday oh here here's our new shirt no nah. reverse gear. No, <laughs> you see that? But uh, C CNN, they, they even read an article yesterday and they, uh, they said that Ukraine has saboteurs in Russia, hinting at the yes. fact that this is going to start to shift towards some sort of uh, terror campaign 
operation. They're very much like what what uh, what happened with uh, Chechnya. Absolutely, and you know, it it will cause the Russians problems. I mean, about that, nobody should have any doubts. I mean, that they will. I mean, this could be a prolonged affair. And of course, if you're talking about the events of the 2000s, I mean, it escalated in a very big way. I mean, there were bombs in the Moscow metro. There were apparently um, Russian civilian airliners that were, you know, blown up in the skies. I seem to remember there was at least one incident where it's widely believed that happened. I think the Russian authorities kept very quiet about it, but that's widely believed. But in the end, Russia prevailed. And I think that they would do the same if they were confronted with a problem like this. All right, we will leave it there at thedurant.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, and Rockfin. And go to the Durant shop, 10% off. Use the code, good day.